Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, be careful what you ask for because you just might get it. We speak with the author of Agenda 2060, a book which imagines a world where the woke culture goes unchecked in the name of creating a utopian society. Also this morning, a conversation with U.S. Representative Bob Latta about current issues confronting Congress and the countdown to the midterm elections. And the cold, dry air and harsh winter weather conditions can take a toll on skin health for anyone, but especially those who suffer from psoriasis. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Tuesday, February 1st, 2022. So what do you have planned for today? This is kind of interesting. Uh, The uh, first uh, story here, among the first things that you need to know, the most buzzworthy stories of the day, what you do over the course of a day may have a lot to do with when you were born, uh, what generation you are a part of. New study from the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics finds that women in Generation X are more likely to do housework, take care of children, read for pleasure, and do lawn work during the, I guess, during the course of the average day. While women in the millennial generation are more inclined to exercise, spend leisure time on their computer, take care of their pets, and sleep. (laughs) The data also shows that uh, both generations spent the same amount of time working And men work longer hours than women because women were more likely to work part-time. The uh, two generations spent about the same amount of time on leisure and sports activities, but Gen Xers more likely than millennials to have children and own homes. Although both generations watch TV as their top leisure activity, millennial men spend 18 minutes less a day watching TV compared to their Gen X counterparts. And it goes on to say, on an average day, more millennials were found to be participating in sports, recreation, and exercise than their Gen X peers. Gen Xers also had to spend more time going to brick-and-mortar stores to pick up items, while millennials can do a lot more things online, including shopping and banking. Millennials more likely to delay having children than Gen Xers and were also found to be more likely to have advanced college degrees and less likely to be married. In addition, the younger generation sleeps more, and this could be due to a generational shift, whereas sleeping may have once been viewed as lazy, it is now seen as a good health practice. So there you go. So whatever you have uh, planned for today, compare it to that. Today being February 1st, this is usually about the time when we talk about people abandoning their New Year's resolutions for good. (laughs) Well, we gave it a good go. We gave it the old college try. (laughs) And here's something that I thought was uh, interesting research out of Europe specifically England and Germany, finds that sometimes people may not want help in keeping their New Year's resolutions. 
You know, what is it that we talk about? Year's resolutions about this time of year, they start to wane a little bit. So maybe it's time to rededicate, you know, encourage your friends to keep up with their resolutions, stick to it and all of that. Sometimes people may not want that help. Thanks, but no thanks. These researchers found when people make resolutions and then fail to keep them, this is a conflict between our two selves, the planner in charge of self-control and the doer that responds spontaneously to the temptations of the moment. And they found that while participants in their study differed in the relative importance they attached to spontaneity and self-control, overall, attitudes in favor of spontaneity were almost as common as attitudes in favor of self-control. Researchers say, quote, We believe our findings point to the importance of treating desires for spontaneity as equally deserving of attention as desires for self-control. They go on to say, One idea it would be useful to investigate is whether some kinds of deviation from long-term goals are viewed as more spontaneity-affirming than others. For example, breaking a health-oriented resolution by ordering a creme brulee is perhaps a more positive way of expressing spontaneity than not taking one's daily run because it is raining outside or snowing or whatever it might happen to be. Anyway, long and short of it that I took away from uh, this research is a long way to go to uh, get back to the original statement. Sometimes people just don't want help in keeping their New Year's resolutions. Don't help me! Don't help me. If I want to give up, I'm going to give up. By golly, that's the way we uh, we look at it i'm not sure so we are just under two weeks away from uh, super bowl 56 the bengals and the rams and uh, here is something to know well i guess this doesn't just apply to the super bowl we've got this uh, huge winter storm coming and people are going to be out uh, raiding the store shelves <laughs> what is it we always say uh, people are going to go stock up on bread, on milk, on eggs, because we certainly don't want to go through a blizzard without having French toast. Um, but, you know, those basic food staples will be, uh, as with many other food products, demand for poultry has soared amid the pandemic. And as Super Bowl Sunday approaches, restaurants and supermarkets are planning ahead. Americans expected to consume nearly 1.42 billion chicken wings during Super Bowl 56. This according to the National Chicken Council. And you can expect to pay more than you have in years past. Yes, that's right. Just like everything else, chicken wings are going to be more pricey this year. According to the U.S. Department of Agriculture's latest chicken retail report, the price of chicken wings per pound is up by more than a dollar compared to the same time last year. An eight-piece order of wings has increased by nearly $3 on average from last year, according to the USDA. That would be a, an eight-piece order of uh, you know, chicken wings at a restaurant. Up three bucks. Stock up on those chicken while you're stocking up on all of the essentials that you will need to weather the winter storm over the next uh, couple of days, just go ahead and grab chicken wings while you still can, because come Super Bowl Sunday, they may be kind of tough to come by, apparently. By the way, speaking of the uh, Super Bowl, in Cincinnati, the city school district 
has given a gift to its students and staff. As the Bengals are headed to the Super Bowl for the first time in more than three decades, Cincinnati Public Schools have announced on Monday, or announced Monday, that they have amended their school calendar to make Monday, February 14th, the day after the Super Bowl, a day off. (laughs) They have canceled school the day after the Super Bowl in Cincinnati. So kids will be able to stay up late without worrying about having to get up the next day for school, and staffers won't have to drag themselves into work after a night spent either celebrating a win or drowning their sorrows after a loss. (laughs) A letter sent to parents... uh, called celebrating the Bengals' first Super Bowl uh, win as the reason the change was made. Let me repeat that. I read that wrong. A letter sent to parents cited celebrating the Bengals' first Super Bowl win as the reason the change was made, but whether or not it will be a celebration remains to be seen. In the two previous times the Bengals have reached the Super Bowl, as you probably know by now, uh, they lost both times, both times to 49ers, though, in uh, 1982 and 1989. So, But they've got, <laughs> they got the uh, day off from school, the day after the uh, Super Bowl. There's been a movement to make Super Bowl Monday a national holiday. And I don't, I don't know. You know, the one, the one thing about the Super Bowl that I think the NFL does right is that they start it early enough that it doesn't end at midnight or after. You remember the college football championship game didn't kick off until like 8 o'clock. And then with all of the extra added commercials and the pageantry and all of that, it wasn't over until, I mean, what was it, 11.30, midnight, something like that? I mean, it's, it goes very late, but the Super Bowl kickoff is like 6.30. And um, even though the game runs, you know, it can run four hours, that still uh, is not quite as bad uh as many of the other big games and and big you know things sporting events they do so at least they do get that part right they start it early enough that uh, it's not insanely late when it's uh, when it's over but speaking of tv this is kind of interesting you want to start an argument today we talk about the first things you need to know the most buzzworthy stories of the day this will cause a buzz. You want to start an argument at work. Pose this question of your coworkers. What is the best TV show of all time? A new survey for YouTube TV. They asked 2,000 adults the best TV show of all time. Rank the best TV shows of all time. And number one, tops the, topping the list, the best TV show of all time, Friends. Friends, at 43% of the 2,000 adults in this poll ranked Friends as number one of all time. Seinfeld was number two with 40% of the vote. Game of Thrones came in third. Three's Company was fourth of all shows. Three's Company, followed by Frasier, rounding out the top five. The Office, MASH, Battlestar Galactica, The Simpsons, and The Wire, the rest of the top ten, And then down beyond that, Twin Peaks, Family Guy, The Sopranos, Sex and the City, American Dad, Law and Order, Grey's Anatomy, Bob's Burgers, Community, and Big Brother. Now, I'm sorry. If you don't have All in the Family, Mary Tyler Moore Show, uh, Dick Van Dyke Show, I Love Lucy, 
I mean, they're the honeymooners. I mean, there are some great shows that didn't make the top 20. I just I wonder who they who they asked. Um, the same people said the 80s and 90s were the best decades for television. Uh, followed by the decade of the 2000s, the 2010s and the 70s. Just 10 percent of people said the 70s are the best decade for television. Uh, just 7% said that we are currently in the best era for TV. Uh, interestingly, and again, just to throw this out here, uh, with respect to the uh, survey, 45% of the people in the poll say they still have recordings of their favorite TV show episodes on DVDs or even VHS. And 92% of those people say they still occasionally will watch them. So, so much for people not watching DVDs or even VHS these days. Anyway, kind of interesting. There you go. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Tuesday morning started. WFIN News. I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather, partly sunny and breezy today with a high of 45, becoming mostly cloudy tonight, a low of 34. Big changes are on the way for tomorrow. Forecasters say one of the bigger snowstorms northwest Ohio has ever seen is likely to occur this week. The snow is anticipated to begin on Wednesday afternoon and last through Thursday night. Around a foot of snow is possible and conditions will also become windy, leading to blowing and drifting, making traveling very difficult or nearly impossible. We stopped by the Kroger on 6th Street in Findlay on Monday to see if people were stocking up on the essentials ahead of the snowstorm. Are you guys kind of getting some supplies in case it is as bad as they say? Yeah, just getting some junk food in case we're snowed in. <laughs> just junk food. None of the <laughs> none of the essentials like bread and uh, milk. No, and, I uh, got um, bread. I already have milk at home, and so I just had to get like the few things we needed. Again, forecasters say very heavy snow is possible with this storm from Wednesday afternoon through Thursday. A teenager died in a house fire in Fostoria over the weekend. When firefighters arrived at the home in the 700 block of Oaklawn Avenue, they were told one person was unaccounted for. Firefighters then found a 14-year-old girl in her bedroom. They performed life-saving measures on the girl, and she was taken to Fostoria Community Hospital, where she was pronounced dead. Three firefighters suffered minor injuries battling the blaze. The cause of that fire is believed to be the improper use of a heating appliance. Athens County's hometown boy, Joe Burrow, is leading the Cincinnati Bengals to the Super Bowl ONN's Tino Ramos reports from Athens High School in Southeast Ohio. The proud community of the Plains and also of Athens really soaking in that victory of knowing that their hometown hero is now going to the Super Bowl. Following the game, he told one of the reporters out there that it was very special to him that he was able to grow up here in the Plains in Ohio and also represent a team from Ohio to go to the Super Bowl. And I can tell you the people who live here in the Plains and in Athens, they think it's pretty special too. And Super Bowl 56 between the Cincinnati Bengals and Los Angeles Rams will be played on Sunday, February 13th in Los Angeles. Get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. Matt Demchek with 1330 WFIN 95.5 FM. Well, you are familiar with the old saying, be careful what you ask for because you just might get it. Well, that is kind of the premise in a nutshell of the new novel Agenda 2060, which imagines a world where the so-called woke agenda and cancel culture and political correctness and identity politics all go unchecked 
in the name of creating a utopian society. Author A.I. Fabler is uh, with us this morning. So, first of all, this is kind of a uh, ripped-from-the-headlines type of book because we all can kind of see the seeds of this sprouting right now, but it is described as a dystopian dark comedy. Tell us a little bit about this book. I've been a, a, a journalist and a playwright uh, uh, for many years, working mostly in Europe and around the Asia-Pacific re- region, and I'd kind of lost touch with what was happening politically in the States until I ran into some Californian academics. And I found, for the first time, this extraordinary barrier to open discussion and realized that uh, what I was uh, talking to were people who had very fixed ideas, so fixed that they couldn't entertain uh, any alternative views, which seemed extraordinarily sad, but it was also quite confrontational. I told them that, that at the time I was writing a screenplay about two aged American filmmakers who were pouring over the entrails of their life, their disappointments and what have you. Mm-hmm. And the wife of one of the academics was absolutely horrified. And she said, so you're writing about a, a two old white men? And I said, yes. And she said, I'm astounded that uh, independent filmmakers would even consider as such a subject. She said, don't you understand that it's ageist, sexist and racist? And I thought, I'm going to really suffer trying to talk to these people each day. So in crafting this story, did you take what's kind of happening today and and play it out to what you see as the logical conclusion or the most absurd conclusion? Oh, the most absurd. Absolutely. I mean, look, many of the underlying ideals in uh, some of the uh, uh, wokest extremes, mm-hmm. the, the extremes that are that are generating uh, unfortunate things like cancel culture. Um, some of those I- ideals we will probably hang on to, uh, particularly in the field of uh, ecology and treating people who uh, tend to have been slightly outside society, mm-hmm. uh, treating them with sympathy and and finding out ways of, of of uh, bringing them into uh, society in a comfortable way. If you look at what's happened with um, homosexual legislation really throughout the Western world in a relatively short time, it may have seemed like a long time for people who were fighting for homosexual rights, but really for the rest of society, it's, it's been pretty quick and it's been, I would, have, would say, fairly painless uh, most most people are mm. very accepting of. Well, that's what I was going to say. I mean, you are not uh, advocating not speaking out against racism or sexism or you know equal rights or uh, destroying the environment. That's not what you're saying. The core uh, beliefs uh, are things that we should all be able to get to have some level of agreement on. It's taking those to the most absurd level. that, And we do see some of that these days. That's right. It's the deterioration of the dialogue, really, that I'm commenting on, and the degree to which uh, uh, some people uh, tend to distort the message for their own ends. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's why we, we have this polarization. I mean, I, I divide the, the Western world into three camps. There's the woke, the anti-woke, 
and there's the great mass of people who are the dumbfounded ones in the middle who wonder what the hell is going on here. <laughs> you also, one of the other topics that you uh, talk about in the in the book, and again, it's something that we can all relate to, we all have you know strong opinions on, and that is privacy in the digital age and the way it seems we are all too willing to embrace the loss of our own privacy in surrendering to what it says you're surrendering to our sort of digital overlords that we've created here. Well, I mean, that really is quite a scary issue. Um, and of course, artificial intelligence is, is being used to control a, a lot of the platforms that people have willingly entered into and given away their, their freedoms and their privacy. And we're taking it on faith that artificial intelligence can be controlled. Mm-hmm. In other words, you know, that, that, that we created it and we're in, we're in charge of it. But there's absolutely no certainty of that. Yeah. And, as, and as a matter of fact, at the, at the end of the book, you kind of pose the question of, does it mean that quantum computing has finally allowed an algorithm to be fully humanized? And is that what humans really want that is a really deep and concerning question that we're probably very much closer to having to reckon with than maybe what we realize yeah and and of course the lay person has insufficient knowledge to be involved closely in this conversation mm. uh, i think that's one of the problems uh, with, within uh, the laboratories um of course, they're always going to press ahead and try and make advances um, because they live in, in, a, in an enclosed, an entropic world and don't have a clear overview about the ethics uh, that are involved here. And we are going to have to uh, somehow become engaged in this topic because it's getting ahead of us. Absolutely. Uh, something that is uh, very interesting and yet at the same time uncomfortable to think about. Uh, you have lived and worked all over the world. As a matter of fact, you're in New Zealand now as we are speaking. So you have a, a, a kind of a global perspective on this. When we talk about the woke uh, culture, wokeness and cancel culture and, uh, you know, all, all of this uh, political correctness, identity politics, is it something that the entire world is having the same type of discourse that we are having in this country, or is this something that is unique to America? No, it's the Western world. Uh, it came out of France as postmodernism, and then it leapt across the Atlantic into uh, the American academies. Um, it's, I, I liken it to the coronavirus. Hmm. Um, it's, it's, it's been incubating in the universities now for uh, 30 uh, years at least, and of course um, the uh, the universities have have been producing uh, uh, graduates who have been thoroughly schooled in, in it in the in this language, and have gone out into in particular the media and corporations. So it's spread uh, right across the United States, but it's definitely in the United Kingdom. It's in uh, Western Europe, hmm. but you won't find it in the developing world. Uh, well, it's mainly in the ang- Anglosphere. Yeah. Well, um, in, the, in the developing world, people are too busy uh, trying to make a living, and right. they just shake their head. 
say this is not <laughs> just trying to survive. Uh, it, it really is yep. a fascinating examination of what happens when the woke agenda runs amok. Uh, and again, as we said, it's that old saying, be careful what you ask for, because you just might get it. Uh, it, it may not be the utopia that some believe that it uh, that it would be. Agenda 2060 is the uh, name of the book. And A.I. Fabler's uh, the author. Do you have a website where folks can learn more about the book? Yeah, it is at Agenda2060.com. And I'm trying to use humor in order to uh, not only make a good read, but also to make us think about it. And it will certainly do that. A.I. Fabler, thanks very much for taking the time uh, this morning. We certainly appreciate it. Best of luck with the book. Many thanks, Chris. So yesterday, 5th District U.S. Representative Bob Latta was in Findlay, continuing a tour of the district. And yesterday afternoon, he made time in his schedule to drop by our studios for a conversation with all that is going on in D.C. and beyond. This is our conversation yesterday with Congressman Bob Latta. Talk a little bit about what brings you uh, to Findlay. Well, this past week's been a what we call a district work period. Mm-hmm. So I've been across my entire district. And, and this morning, I started off at uh, St. Michael's talking to all the students which is always fun i always love getting the questions from the kids under the grades less than uh, three and under because there's always <laughs> yeah. a lot more interesting I'm questions sure. <laughs> and uh, but also going through different uh, businesses here in town and uh, i tell you one of the things that i'm always impressed with with eighty six thousand manufacturing jobs in my district the the great things that we're doing across uh northwest west central ohio it's unbelievable and it's pretty much always said, you know what, If with the entrepreneur spirit and the innovators out there, just turn Americans loose and watch what happens. Last week, I was in Lorain County. I was mm-hmm. in Seneca County, Mercer County, Crawford County. And it's just unbelievable what people are doing out there. Things that I never would even dream up do what they do. We uh, have talked on the program a number of times with the local officials on economic developments and investments of uh, businesses uh, in the area. Obviously, we've got some wonderful things going on in that respect uh, here locally and uh, certainly statewide. Uh, the recent announcement of right. uh, Intel's huge plant uh, in central Ohio, I know obviously not your district, but that's a big thing for Ohio as a whole. Well, it's, it's huge, not only for Ohio, but the United States. I'm the uh, on the Energy and Commerce Committee, and mm-hmm. we also have telecommunications underneath. I'm the ranking member on that subcommittee. Mm-hmm. And I tell you, one of the things we have to have in this country, we have to have chips. Uh, you know, drive by a uh, your local uh, car dealer. Look, yeah. how many, how, look how few vehicles are out there. Uh, you know, think about all the different things that are manufactured from, you know, dishwashers, washing machines, you name it. They have chips in them. Everything has a chip in it. And so we've got to have that. And the last thing we need to do is be relying overseas and again, we have to shorten up. One thing we found about COVID, we've got to shorten the supply chain up. And so by having that plant here in Ohio, not only is it going to aid you know, for the employment and the great things it'll do here, mm-hmm. but just getting these chips out across the United States where we need to have them. Yeah. Because, again, it's, we're talking tens of thousands of jobs, but it's also going to make things work. And, uh, you know, when you drive by 
lots where they've just had to take vehicles out and just leave them there because they can't move them until they get chips. Yeah. Meanwhile, uh, back in D.C., a lot of things going on right now in the uh, nation's capital from the January 6th commission, the uh, opening uh, coming up on the uh, Supreme Court to the potential Russian invasion of uh, Ukraine. Now, I know a lot of those things are happening most prominently on the Senate side uh, of, uh, of Capitol Hill. But what do you think? You sit back there and you see all of these things going on. What's your take on some of these headlines we see? Well, I right tell you, the, the Ukraine, this, this is scary. And uh, it's really scary because, again, we've got to think about our friends overseas. And, and again, uh, you know, when the president came in uh, last year, the first thing he did, he killed the Keystone XL. Keystone XL would have brought 840,000 barrels of oil into the United States. But he's also had a pretty much anti-energy policy because, again, when, you know, trying to uh, limit leases on federal lands out there, you think about the natural gas, you think about the oil, you think about what he did with the Russians, what they call with Nord Stream 2. Nord Stream 2, they, there were sanctions out there. He lifted the sanctions, which means the Russians can bring in uh, the uh, natural gas into Europe. Their Europeans would rather buy what? American natural gas because, you know, they, we, they know that we're not going to cut it off all, uh, during mm-hmm. the winter. But you look at these different things that, that the president has done and then also then turning around asking the Russians to increase oil production to sell it to us, and it's just like it's it's not showing uh, what we need to be doing out there. But that's not the obviously the reason for the Russian aggression well, toward Ukraine. How does that complicate the negotiations, if you will, right. well, with and, between and, the U.S. and Russia? And again, I, I was over in Ukraine. I think it was about six years ago, and we were on, we were talking about energy. And again, uh, when you think about what the Russians have done, they uh, have been uh, having their uh, these folks out there fighting the ukrainians on the eastern side of the country that they're supplying we don't know if the russians might be involved in that part right you know right up front but also we saw what they did in the crimea and one of the things that you know the russians and what the ukrainians are saying is look if the russians invade us they're going to come across the southern part of the country block off all access to the black sea so no energy can be brought in from that part of the world into uh, that part of uh, into Central Europe. Why is that important? Because, again, when you think about what the Russians want, there's a couple of things. One, they want all energy to be uh, sold by them because they really don't have any other means of supporting them. So it's energy production. It's critical on their, and to their the, economy. And the no second question. part is it's just like in World War II, what Nazi Germany wanted, they wanted the Ukraine because they see it as a breadbasket there. And, and Putin wants to reconstitute the old Soviet Union, and the one thing you want to have is the Ukraine. And so we have to really you know, make sure the Russians understand that if they do this, there's going to be such massive issues for them. You know, the 8,500 troops that you know, the president's not kind of deploying, or say he's mm-hmm. going to deploy around right. the area, that's not, it's not going to help you when you've got 100 and some thousand Russians on the right. border. Uh, it's been reported that in the discussions between the U.S. and uh, the the Soviet Union and and Russia, uh, that one of Russia's demands was that Ukraine not be allowed to join NATO ever. Uh, The administration balked at that. They said there's no way that they're going to agree to such a thing. But at the same time, we don't necessarily want Ukraine joining NATO, do we? Because... If Russia were to invade, then we would be obligated to support 
uh, well, and again, Ukraine, and that, with, we don't want to pick a fight with know, Russia in that way. This do we? is something that you know, with the North Atlantic Treaty Organization that was formed after World War II, you know, to really look at making sure that you have a secure world out there. You know, you've got uh, countries that are pretty far removed from the North Atlantic, but when you think about the Ukrainians, they're they're allies, they're friends. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like with the Poles. You know, they're friends, and uh, you have all these folks out there that are very, very concerned. What happens if we're invaded? What happens if the rest of the world just sits back and right. says, "Well, they they got invaded, and there's nothing we can do about it." But mm-hmm. we, you know, the, the you know the the Russians are out there, as they said, that the reason that they're being able to build back out uh, from where they were is from is from their energy production, mm-hmm. and that's why it's so important for the United States to do what we've got to do. But at the same time. You know, we've got to, we have to think about our friends and our allies out there. And, uh, you know, the Ukrainians have been friends. They want to, they, they, they're not looking to the Russians and they're not looking east. They're looking west. Mm-hmm. And, that's who, and that's where they're looking at right now. Because the, the other thing, real quick, when I was there, is how many young Ukrainians are leaving the country because of, you know, no job opportunities and things like that. That is uh, also one of the other uh, side notes on that on that whole story is the uh, uh, the drain uh, in uh, the Ukrainian population uh, in that respect, uh, which is a good point as well. You speak of talking about energy back in December. Uh, folks, who remember, we spoke uh, with you about your attempt to stop the administration from shutting down pipelines in the a specific pipeline uh, in this line, line five, five in the in this area and uh, you'd introduced uh, legislation uh, to that effect to attempt to uh, keep that uh, keep the administration from shutting that down i know they were looking at that give us an update on where all of that stands yeah one of the things i did right off the bat was we also wanted to uh, get a letter to the president and so i had members sign on to this letter because again just for people to understand what's happening is there's a there's a pipeline not the keystone this is what they call line five mm-hmm. it starts up in canada comes through the upper peninsula goes through the lower peninsula also uh feeds the you know parts i'm not sure exactly how much it goes for the Marathon Refinery in uh, Detroit, yeah. but also the two uh, refineries in the Lucas County area. Mm-hmm. It's about about a $5 billion a year economic boom for our area. If we didn't have it, uh, people that uh, get propane, especially in Michigan, would be paying exorbitant f- uh, amounts for it. The other thing is you shut down Line 5 to get the same amount of fuel down, you'd have to have 2,200 more trucks on the road, 2,200 trucks. We don't even have the 2,200 trucks. Mm-hmm. I mean, plus, you wouldn't want to have that, all that happening. So, you know, we want, to, we, we want to stop the administration from moving forward on this. We want to stop, them on, you know, on the legislative side. It's going to be tough with uh, Pelosi and company controlling the House right now. But I think we've, we've got a lot of pressure out there. And one of the things is that after we sent our letter, the administration did back off going forward with some of the things that they might have. And so now the Corps of Engineers is supposed to be out doing a study. But this, the, the big issue is, is that Line 5 is, it goes between the lakes. It's in a trench right now. That's been, it was put in in 1953. And that trench, uh, what they want to replace it with, with a tunnel. And the tunnel will bring, bring it underneath the lake bed entirely. But, uh, and, you know, the governor of Michigan wants to kill this. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm very concerned because the uh, secretary of the Department of Energy right now is from where? She was the former governor mm-hmm. of Michigan. Right. So we have uh, two Michiganders up there not uh, helping us on this. But we want to make sure that th- this energy comes through because 
for our region, it would really, really hit hard if we don't have line five. Do you think you can apply enough pressure to uh, to convince the administration to leave well enough alone, as it were? Well, you know, one of the things coming up is an election year. And I think that uh, the administration, when you look at the president's popularity and how low it is, and you look at the vice president's lower than his, that that's going to concern them quite a bit. And especially when you look at some key states, Ohio and Michigan. And I think that uh, for just on the political side, that I think they, they're looking at the tea leaves on this thing and said, better not uh, go too much into this. Because, again, if it's just not for them, it might be political. For the rest of it, it's, it's economic and, and survival out here. We will leave it there. Again, uh, 5th District U.S. Representative Bob Latta with us this morning. Congressman, thanks, thanks very thanks much for taking much. the really time. Appreciate, appreciate it. it. Again, our conversation yesterday afternoon with Congressman Bob Latta, who is in town discussing uh, the uh, situation, Russia, Ukraine, dragging the U.S. into uh, all of that update on uh, Line 5 and those uh, energy issues all under the backdrop of the looming midterm elections. More at our webpage, goodmornings.net. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to us a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. You know, we've got a lot of snow uh, coming here over the uh, next couple of days. And just a word of advice, this is not, repeat, this is not how you deal with it. The fire department in Seymour, Connecticut... We're called to extinguish a blaze on Saturday night that was caused by a homeowner attempting to melt snow with a garden torch. <laughs> Happened at 537 in the evening. The Seymour Fire Department was dispatched for a reported structure fire. Upon arriving, they quickly discovered the cause, a blowtorch. The uh, homeowner attempted to melt the snow from this past weekend's nor'easter in the East Coast with the uh, torch and accidentally (laughs) set his siding on fire. Flames were also found in an exterior wall. The fire was swiftly knocked down before they were able to enter the house again. As imaginable, the fire department uh, reported, we do not recommend the use of a garden torch or any similar device in an attempt to melt ice. (laughs) Don't do that. Don't. Uh, how about this? <laughs> how would you like uh, this to uh, wake you up in the morning? This is a crazy alarm clock in Milwaukee County, Wisconsin. Some residents had a rude awakening on Sunday morning when the tornado sirens went off at 430 in the morning. No, there was no tornado threat or even a severe weather. The Milwaukee County Sheriff's Office said the siren sounding was caused in error. <laughs> I'm not sure how residents that were get awakened at 4.30 on a Sunday morning felt about <laughs> the sheriff's office saying, oops. County dispatchers say a faulty siren was reset. The county office of emergency management said officials were looking into what happened. No other details were released. But uh, <laughs> those folks had absolutely no excuse not to be at church that morning. That's you know, 4.30 in the morning. Doggone, well, better be at church, i tell you. Can't say you slept in, I guess. This is a crazy story. Um, and uh, I saw this on the Newswire. The headline really grabbed my attention. It said, the worst food for your health, experts say, is bacon. Bacon, not good for your health. 
According to Dr. Rezan Shali of Tri-City Medical Center in Vista, California, she says, quote, Many people don't know that the World Health Organization has classified bacon in the same category of tobacco when it comes to carcinogenesis. Uh, referring to the process by which normal cells are transformed into cancer cells. She goes on to say, we have done a good job in asking people to give up tobacco, but how come we have not done a good job in asking people not to eat bacon? Really? Do you have to ask that question? Do you have to ask that question? In a related story, Dr. Ryzen Shali of the Tri-City Medical Center in Vista, California, has no patients now. (laughs) Nobody wants to go to the doctor that says, you shouldn't be eating bacon. That's... (laughs) crazy giving up bacon come on police in dearborn michigan are the latest law enforcement agency to report a rash of steering wheel thefts in their community you heard it right stealing wheel uh, steering wheel thefts investigators say thieves are targeting general motors vehicles particularly the chevrolet malibu Apparently, steering wheels for the Chevy Malibu are in high demand. Police say thieves are breaking out windows and stealing the steering wheel, prying it off. Officials say the airbag contained in the wheel is what the thieves really want, though. Shady repair shops will sometimes shell out cash on the spot. No questions asked for airbags, especially with factory shutdowns and other pandemic-related supply chain issues leading to a shortage. I, I just that just just boggles my mind. Can you imagine having to call the police and say, "Yes, my steering wheel is gone. <laughs> Somebody stole my steering wheel." It's crazy. <clears throat> Speaking of vehicles, police in uh, Australia, the international file here, <laughs> had a uh, <clears throat> I guess a low speed chase with a turtle. Uh, it, it says here. Police caught up with a turtle after a high-speed internet ch- uh, interstate chase from South Australia to New South Wales. To be clear, the turtle was discovered after police arrested a 26-year-old man who allegedly led officers on the chase on Friday night. Uh, according to news reports, police handed the animal, believed to be about three years old, over to the Rescue and Rehabilitation of Australia Native Animals Group. The driver has been charged with driving recklessly on a police pursuit, receiving stolen property, taking the car without consent of the owner, as well as a prior offense of driving without a license. So, okay, so they didn't catch up with the turtle at a high speed, but it was just kind of ironic they recovered a turtle in a high speed chase. I get it. Okay. And a couple of other items here in the uh, broken news. You remember the other day, was it yesterday or day before yesterday, we had the, uh, well, maybe it was on Friday, the uh, woman who was renting out a balcony uh, on her of her apartment, her, her apartment balcony. She pitched a tent on the balcony of her apartment and was trying to rent that out uh, as like a roommate to share expenses. <laughs> you could rent a tent on the uh, this woman's balcony. Well, this man in the UK has gone one step further. A city rental property has been uh, for a garden shed. Basically, it's a garden shed he is renting out. For $1,400 a month, photos show what appears to be a small building made of wood located behind a local apartment building. Comes with a kitchen and appliances, but it's only one room. 
Some say the shed is a good example of how bonkers the housing market has become in uh, England. Others say the owner is just greedy. $1,400 a month for a garden shed. So if living on that woman's uh, balcony in a tent doesn't trip your trigger, maybe renting a garden shed would be your, more your style. It's crazy what people will do. And uh, finally this morning, back in this side of the pond... A Rhode Island couple celebrating their marriage despite the weather that almost froze them out of their ceremony. Adam and Sally Irujo tied the knot outdoors in Providence, Rhode Island this weekend as so as snow from the uh, uh, nor'easter and the uh, blizzard <laughs> swirled all around them. The newlyweds said they had decided on the January 29th wedding date nearly a year and a half ago and decided to keep the date even though that nor'easter was uh, bearing down on them. Adam and Sally exchanged their vows in front of the Providence Public Library with friends and family bundled up in attendance. The National Weather Service says some areas around Providence saw more than 20 inches of snow on their special day. Here's my question. Why would you plan an outdoor wedding for late January in Providence, Rhode Island? I mean, think about that. That's really probably not the brightest move to begin with, nor'easter or no. There you go. That is uh, today's broken news report. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. WFIN keeps you up to date with all the happenings surrounding this year's Ohio State football recruiting class. Reports weekday mornings at 1115 highlight a different recruit and their potential impact at Ohio State. And join us for a special Ryan Day show Wednesday at noon. Our coverage presented by Sinks Flower Shop and Green House, Macomb, VFW, Pandora Flooring and Supply, Buffalo Trading Company, and Citizens National Bank. We're covering the Buckeye Class of 2022 on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com, and 95.5 FM. And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news, the statistics that shape our lives. And this is certainly uh, a, a case in point of the latter here, uh, statistics that shape our lives. At least two in three Americans, according to a new poll, at least two in three Americans consider themselves pizza experts. Pizza experts. We are pizza experts. Uh, the 79% in the survey say they can, they know the very best place to get a slice in the town that they live in. Uh, 79%. They know the best place. We got it. More than 9 in 10, 94% to be exact, have eaten, have had a pizza within the past month of taking the survey, which is not a surprise at all. I mean, do, do any of us go a month without having a pizza? I mean, we just don't in this, uh, in this country. We just love our pizza. Nearly three quarters of the respondents in this poll, 72%, love pizza so much they, they could eat it every day without ever getting bored. Now... It doesn't say you could eat the same kind of pizza every day. I would think you would have to change it up. Maybe get a meat lovers, then a veggie pizza, then a Hawaiian pizza, Mexican pizza, you know, all of these different varieties. I think you would have to go go with some variety, but you could eat it every day. 72% say they could eat it every day and never get bored. Uh, Nearly half, 47%, think that uh, pizza is perfect for next day leftovers. And I would have to agree, leftover pizza the next day, uh, reheated, is just fabulous. Uh, there is nothing better when it comes to leftovers, leftover pizza. 
While nearly, <clears throat> excuse me, while nearly two thirds believe eating pizza is fine for lunch, 63 percent, dinner, 62 percent, 44 percent in the survey said that it is completely acceptable to eat pizza for breakfast, which I thought was kind of interesting. Uh, by the way, the survey commissioned by Donato's and uh, I really miss Donato's. I did my uh, my hometown. They still they have a, a Donato's pizza every time I go home. To see my folks, see family. Got to go to Donato's. The uh, survey revealed that 64% do not enjoy pizza as often as they wish they could. So I just thought that was kind of interesting. We are pizza experts and pizza lovers in this country, to be sure. Of course, with the uh, weather that we've got uh, coming up here in the uh, next couple of days, you know, uh, winter storms, whenever you have a big snowstorm, that is a big pizza ordering time. Because you can have it delivered, you don't have to make dinner, but you don't have to go out either. Of course, this weekend may be a little tough for delivery drivers, or this uh, this week may be a little tough for delivery drivers with the kind of weather that they're talking about over the next 72 hours or so. But then you also have the uh, Super Bowl coming up uh, as well, which is a big pizza time. So, very timely stuff there. Well, we all know how the cold, dry winter months can be really rough on our skin, and that is especially true for psoriasis patients. And with that in mind, we are joined this morning by Dr. Jennifer Song, a dermatologist and director of clinical research at the Santa Ana-based Southern California Dermatology, and also Alan Avendano, acclaimed makeup artist to Hollywood A-listers and a psoriasis patient as well. And so, uh, Dr. Song, let me start with you. When we talk about uh, psoriasis and the, especially the effect of winter on, uh, on skin for those with psoriasis, talking most prominently to those with plaque psoriasis, because that is the most common form of the condition, what are the signs and symptoms of plaque psoriasis? Right. Plaque psoriasis is a chronic autoimmune disease. And it appears on the surface of the skin as these raised red flaky patches. It has a very characteristic kind of silvery scale on the top of the plaque. And it can affect anywhere on the body. The most common areas are the scalp, elbows, and knees. And what many people don't know is that the inflammation actually starts from the inside due to a dysfunction in the immune system where inflammatory proteins are overproduced and then target the skin. So, Alan, uh, talk a little bit about, as we said, uh, you are a uh, psoriasis patient yourself. Talk about your experience living, especially uh, in the public spotlight with plaque psoriasis. Yes. So, um, it definitely has not been easy. I got psoriasis when I was three years old. I was stuck in a fire. Uh, The trauma, I think, uh, brought out the plaques to um, my elbows and knees, and then it started uh, spreading all over my body. So, grade school, high school, it was it was not fun. A lot of bullying. A lot of people were ignorant to what psoriasis was. They thought it was contagious. Um, but, you know, in high school, I, I learned to really love myself and, and learn to get myself together and know that I'm so much more than this. And that's what I apply to my life now. Um, you know, and and I wanted to share that story, and that's why I'm so excited to partner with Dr. Song, Amgen and Osezwa, on what we call the Inside Look Campaign. And the website is insidelookpso.com. And there you'll uh, get to hear my story, more of my story, and a woman named Sarah who's living with plaque psoriasis. And I also get to give her a psoriasis-friendly uh, makeover to just help 
empower her and feel more confident. Um, but we also want to encourage people um, to talk to their doctors and find the different treatment options that work for them because you do have to deal with this from the inside out. And um, also, we just want to shed light on the 8 million people that have quack psoriasis and yeah. that you're not alone. And so all of that um, has really helped me deal with my life now and, and be much happier and be much more of a full person living my life to the full, even with plaque psoriasis. And uh, having dealt with this uh, yourself and being expert uh, in makeup and, and skincare and such, you have some ways, some tips for those who are living with this same condition uh, for dealing with that uh, skincare and makeup tips, particularly for the winter months that can be uh, harsh for everyone, especially when you've got psoriasis. Right. So besides the treatment um, options that your doctor will give you, like when it comes to dealing with your own skincare and makeup, I always say be gentle with yourself and also be gentle with the way you apply the, the products that you use. So I always say gentle moisturizers, um, gentle uh, cleansers. If you're going to exfoliate, make sure that it's not too harsh. And when you're applying using the fingertips and in circular motions and not rubbing because irritation can cause new plaques to come out. Um, also, when you're applying makeup, using um, like beauty sponges or, or makeup brushes, making sure to tap those in and not rubbing. Um, because it, and also not applying too much product because too much makeup, too much of anything um, can actually irritate and make it look worse. But rather focus on the things that you love about your face, your, your lips, your eyes. Um, you know, you go crazy trying to cover it up. But moisturize and then bring out your features. And that should help you be just more confident and in love with, with what you're putting out there. Now, and be gentle with your mind. Make sure that you're not beating yourself up. Yeah. Uh, now, Dr. Song, uh, again, we talk about uh, dealing with this condition during the winter months uh, from an external uh, sort of point of view. But as Alan was uh, alluding to, this is something that you have to treat from the inside out. So talk a little bit about the uh, clinical ways of, of managing this and what treatment options are available for those who are living with plaque psoriasis. Yes, there's so many great treatment options now. So one option that we're here to talk about today and that treats psoriasis differently is Otesla or a Premolast. And it's not an injection, biologic, or cream. It's actually a pill that targets the inflammation from the inside. So in clinical studies, it's been shown that for patients with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis, that they can get 75% clear skin in 16 weeks. Now, individual results vary, so really important that you talk to your doctor to create a treatment plan and find the right treatment plan for, for yourself. It can take a little bit of trial and error, and your doctor will also share with you the side effects. Every medication can have side effects, and it's important to understand um, the side effects and um, find the right treatment plan for you. So important, again, talking about uh, caring for uh, your skin for psoriasis patients in the uh, wintertime, uh, not just externally, but uh, from a medical standpoint as well. And Alan, as you mentioned, the Inside Look campaign, uh, you were talking about why that is so important to you. Where do folks uh, find more about that? Yes, the website again is InsideLookPSO.com. Okay, and we will find resources. 
We will link up to that on our webpage. Again, uh, Alan Avendano, uh, acclaimed makeup artist to uh, Hollywood A-listers, and Dr. Jennifer Song, Director of Clinical Research at Southern California Dermatology with us this morning. Thank you both for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thanks so much for partnering with us. And that will finish up our podcast for today. Thanks again to all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. And remember, you can get more information on all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage, that is goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow on the program, we'll have complete weather coverage throughout the morning as we track what could be the biggest winter storm to hit Northwest Ohio in many years. Some say it could be the biggest storm to hit this part of the country since the blizzard of seven. We'll sort it all out for you until tomorrow morning. That is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.